perfectionism leads to people thinking that you build a business and then ta-da, it's done, it's out there, and you're operating it. But that's not real life. Real life is constant and never-ending improvement. You put out version one, you make it better, you get feedback, you put out version two, you get feedback, you put out version three. And with the Rebel Business School courses, I think we're on about version 875 at the moment, and you're continually making things better. The extraordinary belongs to those that create it. Rebelling against business plans and debt, rebelling against what society expects of us to build cool businesses, make money, have fun and do good. Let's create something extraordinary together. Welcome to The Rebel Entrepreneur. Talking about continually making things better, we are back with the Rebel Entrepreneur coaching series and with Callie to the crowd, the YouTube channel. Welcome, Andrew. Hey, Alan. Great to be back. Thanks again for having me on the on the podcast. Really happy to be here. It's a pleasure. We're enjoying following your journey, and I can't wait for the episode update to see what's been going on. But before we do, we have two people who are far better at YouTube than I am here to help us today. So we have Matt and Rob from Matt Estley's Woodworking Channel. Welcome back, gentlemen. Hello. Thanks for allowing us back. Yeah, it's absolutely brilliant to be here, as always. Gentlemen, thank you for being back on the show, being part of it and giving your energy here. So the listeners will know that Andrew had some homework from the last episode. Andrew, do you remember your homework? I do indeed. So essentially, my homework was to get over myself and publish a website. There was a lot of, I, I want to say perfectionism but the work that I actually spit out isn't perfect. So I really don't know if I should call myself a perfectionist. But um, I had a lot of issues with publishing a website that I didn't feel was quote-unquote ready. So over the last two weeks, I've been working on building a website. Um, I already had the domain. So I've got it hosted. I've got it all set up, formatted a few images, spent about a million hours deciding on a WordPress template. And that website is now live, callytothecrowd.com. Am I happy with it? No. Yay! (laughs) (laughs) But what it does do is, so when it wasn't live and it was just sitting as a draft in WordPress, I could delay working on it. It wasn't a priority. I could leave it there, work on it until it was, again, quote unquote perfect, and then put it live maybe in like 20 years time. But... Because it's live now, and I've plugged it so it's available for people to see, it's now making me spend a little bit of time every day just working on some aspect of it that will make it better, which is forcing the website to develop on a daily basis in a way that I don't think it would have if I hadn't just, to your point, Alan, got version one out there. Which is interesting. That kind of brings us back to the holiday principle. When do people in their normal life jobs do most of their work? And it's normally the two days before holiday because it has to be done. And it's fascinating when that happens. So if you press live, you're like, oh, I better get this done. Otherwise, people will judge me. I must do it. And then you go through a round of productivity and it's done. Do you have a MailChimp or email capture form on your website yet, Andrew? 
Yep, I do. Um, I've been fighting with the MailChimp formatting, but I do have a newsletter sign up on the homepage, which is really nice. So as some of you will know, in the last episode, we spoke about the Google web form that I use as a proxy to MailChimp. The downside to that, though, is managing the mailing list isn't the most efficient for a web form. And the plan is to grow that out into something that we can eventually monetize. So MailChimp allows me to be a little bit more, um, yeah, a little bit more efficient and allows me to open a few more doors later on as we start to build that list up. Yes. And it's GDPR compliant, which is always a bonus when you're living in Europe. We need to think about those things. Cool. Perfect. So you've done your homework. We've made progress. We've learned some lessons. We've just hit publish. I love this. Now, what's next? What's next? Why do we have these two beautifully curly-haired gentlemen on the line? And what are you going to be up to next? So when we last spoke with Matt and Rob on the podcast, they gave a mountain of feedback, feedback that we, you and I, Alan, spoke about in the last session. I am conscious that it would be great to get their view on how the channel has grown since then, because there's been a lot of movement on the channel. And I understand they have even more feedback to give me this time, which I'm just, you know, I've come with my empty buckets because I'm willing to fill them up with all the YouTube goodies. (laughs) That is an interesting analogy that you've come with your empty bucket. It's also slightly disturbing, but I will let Matt and Rob fill your bucket during this episode so that you can go away and build your business using their feedback. I am disturbed by that analogy, but we're going to roll with it in this episode. (laughs) Let's start there. Matt and Rob, let's hit Andrew with a few things you've got, and then let's come back to what Andrew's been up to, and I think we'll vibe from there. So please, gentlemen, start filling the bucket when you are ready. (laughs) I'm still trying to get over the bucket analogy. Okay, so looking at your channel the past few weeks, the stuff you've posted since our last call, Andrew, amazing work. You've implemented a lot of the stuff that we've said, particularly things around calls to action. I know you've did with some other bits as well. It's all looking really good. What interests me even more though, is scrolling down to the comment section and seeing all the praise and stuff you're getting. There is literally not one comment down there and everyone is saying like, thank you. I saw a comment from a guy saying he's felt the fittest he's ever felt in 35 years or something like that. Like the video's are obviously doing really, really well. And so I think it would probably be a little bit, it's not worth putting our energy on the videos themselves. I think it's worth sort of stacking up things either side of that. So particularly getting people in to watch those videos and also what they do after. And so this, obviously the stuff you do after is what Alan's mainly focusing on. We've got a few extra bits we want to chuck in there, but it's mainly getting more people into the videos because you've proved the product works now. People love what you do. People tune in every single time you post something. Let's just get more people in. And so that's what we kind of want to focus on here. We'll jump straight into it. First one being thumbnails. So we've taken a couple of samples here. Obviously, it's a podcast. You can't see them, but we'll do our best to uh, describe them. You've got one here, which is a office job stretch routine. Now, this is, I would imagine, quite a common subject for people to experience pain or discomfort in sitting in a chair all day. It's obviously very common. And Andrew's got a really good thumbnail here where he's literally dressed in shirt, suit, trousers. You've got a laptop in front of you, notepad, and you're doing a sort of cobra pose. It's a brilliantly uh, composed thumbnail. 
but there's a few little tweaks we could make with it just to make it stand out a little bit more and perhaps be a little bit more controversial just to get more people clicking on it. If people want to play along with this feedback, where would they find this thumbnail so they can see it? Yeah, sure. So if anyone did want to follow along with the feedback that was kind of coming through, you could go to YouTube, search Andrew Linda or Kelly to the crowd. And then if you look in my playlist, I have a playlist called follow alongs and you could find the office job stretch routine in there. That will be the thumbnail that Matt's talking about right now. Cool. So just to pick apart this thumbnail a little bit, you've got gray suit trousers, but you're on a gray yoga mat. So instantly your trousers are kind of blending into the mat. It's not really popping too much. You've then got a white shirt on, which is blending into your white table and your white background at the back. And so think about these things with regards to what do you want the focus of attention to be in those thumbnails? Obviously, in this case, it's going to be you in this suit. My question to you is, could you mix it up, for example, and could you perhaps do like an L-sit in a really obnoxious position, like a cubicle wall in an office or something like that? You could Photoshop it, of course. But is there something really stupidly obnoxious that people would look at and think, why the blimmin' hell is he doing that? Secondly, did he actually do it? And why is he doing it? Things like that, where you just kind of make things a little bit more interesting and capture people's eyes. Because at the moment, you are completely (laughs) blending into that background. And I'm glad I spotted it because it is a great concept for a thumbnail. I absolutely love it. It's just the focus of attention needs to be a little bit more precise. You have got words around that as well, being the 15-minute stretch just above your head. But then my question to you is, why do you need to have that there when it's in the title already? Yeah, it's an interesting point because I think you're right. I fell too in love with the concept that I didn't really think on what it would ultimately look like. And yeah, now that I'm literally looking at it, the idea that somebody's scrolling through, what, 50 videos quickly through YouTube would expect to grasp that in let's be honest, the split second of the attention span that they would actually allow each video on YouTube probably wouldn't stand out. So yeah, that's actually really interesting. I'd be keen to try that out. And I think this is a universal principle which Matt has pulled up on here for all of us, whether you're putting an image on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, that image has to get someone to stop scrolling, pay attention, click and go through it. So whatever we're doing, if we can find a way to grab people's attention, it's so critical. So then looking at the thumbnails in general, like you just look at the office job stretch routine, you look at the increased handstand finger strength image, and they look really nice as an overall photo because of sort of a natural daylight you've got going on there and the sort of warm tones. And it feels active. So that's all sort of great. You've already got those starting points. But what you could do across the board is start to get much more personal at the moment sort of seeing you do the stretch in the background like we're not not really getting to see you literally you your face as a person and there's a reason why there's so many sort of reaction videos on youtube or videos where people have got their face right up to the camera for their thumbnails it's because people react to faces people relate to faces a lot more people see eyes people understand emotions easier through just seeing someone's face than looking at somebody's body posture, which is why sort of you can start to twist things. Like we were saying, the 15-minute stretch, it doesn't have to be in there because of the title, but there's other places where we could be saying, let's start thinking how to put the words of the title into the picture. 
in the sense of a picture is worth a thousand words. Let's see if you can get that really fundamentally coming across through the thumbnails, getting closer to the camera to make it more personal, and then trying to bring out contrast. Because like I said, you, you've got a really nice sort of daylight aesthetic. And the few things that you can do to sort of pop this contrast, you don't even need, you don't need a studio, you don't need a fancy camera or anything like that. Just do a few tweaks on like a photo editing app where you could blur the background slightly. Just make yourself pop slightly further forwards or reduce the color or reduce the saturation of the background. So that again, you are the main center of attention, no matter how busy the background is. In fact, me and Matt have tried it recently on his website where we've taken a picture of a product that he's created and then the entire background is monochrome. It's just monochrome because it's a really busy background but we don't want anyone to be distracted by it. But we also like the way it looks. It's really difficult. But as soon as that background became monochrome, it's like there is no doubt that this picture is about this box. Click on it to learn how to make it. And it's the same sort of concept for your videos. Yeah, yeah, I'll give that a go. I think um, it's a weird one because with the thumbnails, I've tried to keep consistency throughout all my thumbnails, whether it be color, fonts, the sort of, imagery that we use and I know for a fact that because I film all my videos mainly within my dining area in my house that background can get really busy at times and I know even me sometimes sometimes I'll be looking at video and I'll scroll through and I know for a fact that what I want people's attention to go to isn't necessarily what it wants to be or sometimes there'll be a thumbnail where say for example I want to put too much information in so I've got me doing something plus some words plus some funky colors it's like where should your eyes go so that's actually really interesting feedback so yeah i'll definitely take that on board and i think this is a general marketing principle is we want to draw people's eyes to we want them to see and i don't care whether you're designing a flyer a powerpoint deck that's going to pitch the website it doesn't really matter what your design this is great feedback to go what is the one thing I want people to look at and then get them to focus there. And I think Matt and Rob have done a fantastic job of that on their website with the cabinet project, which I've just had a little look at. Matt, you've got something to say. And could you tell people where they could see that cabinet image so they can actually go and have an example of that? Because I think that's a brilliant example of drawing people's eye to where it should be. Yeah, sure. So uh, you can just go to my website, mattesley.com forward slash shop. We've also got another website called freeonlinewoodworkingschool.com where you can also look at images like that uh, that are all based around plans and things. I won't focus on thumbnails too much more, but it is a very expansive subject. One great tip that me and Rob have recently learned ourselves is what you can do is when you go on YouTube and you scroll across a thumbnail that you really like the look of, create a playlist on your own channel called thumbnails, make it private so no one else can see it and just save those videos, other people's videos to your playlist called thumbnails. And so that way you've basically got a mood board of all these thumbnails that have caught your attention and you can start trying to decipher why they caught your attention and start working out how you can implement those ideas into your own ones. I haven't got into the proper habit of doing it yet, but it's undoubtable how useful that would be just for expanding your repertoire of thumbnail ideas, I suppose. That's a fantastic idea. And it's exactly the same idea. We would say if it's you're going to design a flyer, find other flyers you like the look of. If you're designing a website, find other websites you like the look of. And it's okay to borrow those ideas 
and then to design your own thing. Definitely don't plagiarize, don't nick it exactly, but to borrow the look, the mood, exactly as Matt said, to get the inspiration, take that inspiration. That's a fabulous idea, Matt. Thank you. Thank you. So next we'll focus on titles, obviously being the next step in the uh, thumbnail routine, I suppose, or whatever you want to call it. So Rob kind of spoke about this a little bit before he sort of mentioned a video called Boost Handstand Finger Strength. Again, this is viewable on your channel, of course, and I would say it's probably one of your thumbnails that pops out the most. Why is that? Big, bold lettering, just four big words saying Boost Handstand Finger Strength, and then next to it are literally your hands planted on the floor. You cannot see anything else. Focus of attention is directly on your hands, and those words captures your attention instantly. That's the thumbnail source. If we look down, you know, it's not got a massive amount of views. And so that makes me think, well, is the title correct? Increase handstand finger strength. Are people searching for that? If we sort of loop back a little bit to the office job stretching routine, are people searching for an office job stretching routine or are they searching for stretches for back pain, stretches for neck pain, upper back pain, increasing energy in the office, increasing hip mobility in the office? I don't know. But there's a really good website that you can go to to answer these questions for you called Answer the Public. Basically, all you do is you type in office stretches and it comes up with a list of who, what, why, how responses to everything based around office stretches or what people have searched for. So it'll be how to stretch your legs in the office, why you should stretch your legs in the office who stretches their legs in the office. It's a really good website and it allows you to tender that title to exactly what people are searching. Just a quick one on that. So is that just general search so across Google, YouTube, or is it YouTube specific? Yeah, so basically it does cover the entire internet. But at the end of the day, you think about it, YouTube is probably one of the largest parts of the internet that currently exists at the moment. The second largest uh, in the grand scheme of things. And then think about where people are searching for things. People are searching through Google. And then what happens next? Well, YouTube gets recommended because YouTube is owned by Google. Google's a bigger search engine. It sort of all leads into one place. So it's it's sort of win-win using Arts for Public more than anything else. Yeah. So I currently use a tool called vidIQ to find essentially the semantics of what people are searching, helps me find tags, helps me find titles. But I am conscious that sometimes it does conflict with what Google is telling me. So actually using the handstand finger strength as an example, YouTube recommends, I think it was hand balancing finger strap as something to search. But then when I put something into Google to see what people are looking for, hand balance finger strength was what tended to be the thing that cropped up highest. So it's interesting, if this tool is essentially amalgamating all of that, then I'd be more than interested to try and see, toy around with the different titles and toy around with the different search terms that people are searching for. Yeah, because like I said, our YouTube is the second biggest search engine on the internet, but a lot of views do come directly from Google and people recommending videos straight from the Google search page. So I'd be more than happy to try that out. So the largest search engine is Google. The second largest search engine is YouTube, which I guess is a giant search engine of videos. The third is Amazon and the fourth is Facebook. So when you think of it like that, it's quite thinking about what actually is a search engine and where are people typing things in. 
And Amazon is a giant search engine of products. Like the amount of times I go to Amazon and go da 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 looking for this and it aggregates what I'm searching for. It is a giant search engine. And the basic principle here is work out what people are searching for and then give it to them. And I don't really care whether that's a product, a service, a video, content. It doesn't really matter. We find out what people are searching for and then we sell it to them. That's the general business principle. The great thing about YouTube is the fact that, of course, you can swap out thumbnail covers. You can swap out titles as well. So it it's difficult because when you look at sites like Answer the Public, you still might not get exactly what you expect because everything's changing so much. You're not quite sure the period of data where they're getting it from. But that doesn't mean that you can't trial and error over a certain period of time, um, like a scientific study, what works and what doesn't. We've used VidIQ in the past, much like you're saying you have as well. But we started sort of getting into uh, using something called TubeBuddy, which is sort of this add-on. It's paid. This is sort of a premium end of things. So I'm just sort of describing how it works so that you can do it for free. But essentially, all it does is you upload two thumbnails and you tell it two different titles and it will revolve around those with set specific times and basically build up a graph over two or three, maybe even four weeks to say, right, which one's best? Go for that. And that's essentially called an A-B split test. Now, that's the expensive way of going about doing things, whereas in reality, all you need to do is go into the YouTube analytics tool, set yourself a period of, say, a week or two, where you go, right, I'm going to upload this thumbnail. Let's see how it does over this period. And you want to make sure that the analytics are reflecting that period and then do the same again for the next two weeks when you've swapped it out. We've seen some crazy, crazy changes in click-through rate being the fundamental one um, from changing older videos. Suddenly, they've got a new lease of life because originally they didn't actually have that great a thumbnail. They didn't have that great a title. But you can go back and change it. And it doesn't matter that the video is old. It just matters that suddenly it's popping up in people's news feeds again. And it is bold and dramatic. And you can just keep on experimenting with that format. Yeah, for sure. It's interesting that because that's actually taking a part of my day job running A-B tests on websites and bringing it into YouTube. Something that I weirdly have only ever done once. And it was with a frog stand tutorial. But I don't know why. I've never done it since. So again, it's really stupid. I should have done this already. And yeah, I'm definitely going to give that a go. Um, My kind of excuse for never doing that more often was what happens if I do it and then the click-through rate changes, but it has nothing to do with the video. Maybe the environmental changes has happened. So for example, during lockdown, the number of people searching for handstand videos shot through the roof. But then equally, fundamentally, because click-through rate is a proportional metric, so it's shown in percentage terms. It doesn't really matter. If you get 100 people coming through and 10 people click on it, but then you get 1,000 people coming through and 100 people click on it, it's still 10%. So really, that shouldn't be an excuse for me not trying this out, even if I'm going to use the um, do the free version where I literally just swap out thumbnails every three weeks or so. Yeah, I mean, the, the biggest difficulty there is patience and timing and keeping your data in order. And as you say, if you're literally doing A-B split testing for websites, like you've probably already got Excel templates ready to go, but you can input your own video data. 
but that's literally um, all it requires. But speaking of like the free concept of things, apparently we've sort of seen this from a little bit of our own research as well, but apparently YouTube are developing their own A-B split tester built in. Apparently it's a year overdue, but just keep an eye out for that because that's going to make everyone's lives so much easier. Yeah, I saw that. That's been in the pipeline in the um, YouTube creator suite news section for a while, but I won't hold my breath on that. So I'll I'll (laughs) certainly try your recommended version first rather than waiting for the YouTube engineers to sort their lives out. Okay, cool. We'll move on to number four of our points, which is the entry funnel. So what do people do after they've clicked on your amazing title and thumbnail and everything like that? They've watched the video. They're obviously blown away by what's already in it. Where do they go next? So obviously they click on your channel. How do we get them to stay on your channel? How do we get them to know exactly what it is you do and deliver value straight away? So this is what I did. Obviously, as soon as I went onto your channel, I watched the main video, which was the one-year transformation. Really great video. And you put a clear call to action at the end saying to watch your next playlist, which is getting started in calisthenics. Might be slightly misquoting that, but there's a clear playlist to move to. Now, that playlist was good, but I think there were certain videos in there that might have been a little bit too advanced or maybe include a little bit too much jargon that actually is quite overstimulating to begin with. For me, I think if I was going to produce an entry funnel like that into my channel that I wanted people to engage with, and just instantly get value from, there's a few things that I would do. Firstly, make sure that you can give them quick wins. So that's either an exercise that they can do instantly, something that they never knew they could do, and you just show them one simple technique, and they all of a sudden realize that they can do this amazing thing that they didn't even comprehend before. A quick win would be really good. Another one which I thought was really interesting from your recent videos was the stretching you focused on the subject of stretching. Should you do it before or after a workout? Now, I'm one of those people that always does static stretching before workouts just because it's what we were taught, exactly as you said in a video, when actually it's not necessarily the right way to do things. And all of a sudden, after watching that video, I was like, I feel like I know more about stretching than 90% of the population by this point. It was a quick win, really good reason to stick around because it's like, oh, obviously he's got more of this. And then there's another one. You've already got a video on this setting fitness goals. As we all know, people, myself included, love to make lists. We don't like executing them too much. And so if you can curate a list for people and also incentivize them to build a list, firstly, they're going to love doing that. But secondly, you can be their guiding hands to actually give them something that's achievable and also have some level of accountability as well. I think things like that, focus on quick wins to start with. Again, that's a universal thing across pretty much all businesses. If you can get your customer a quick win as soon as they sign up to your mailing list or something like that, they're going to want to stick around to find out more. You don't want them digging. So I think one of the key things here that I would love to say is it's putting your most valuable content up front. That's what gets people in. They're like, oh, wow, if I learn this, like this is incredible. So at Rebel Business School, we give two week long presentations Like if you hold the secret off until the end, people won't last that long. You have to kind of like go straight in. And actually people have got so frustrated where they're like, oh, stay around for the secret and watch the whole video. And then 15 minutes later, there's a secret coming. It's a load of rubbish. Just give people the value right up front. Put your best content, 
give the most value immediately. And we hit people in the rebel business school straight away. Hit's probably the wrong term, but we give them five ways to build a business with no debt. And we put our most valuable concepts immediately up front. And if I'm delivering a podcast episode, I don't want to mess around with the and you'll know the podcast I'm talking about, I'm sure, which is tell me about your childhood. And I'm like, just stop telling me about your childhood, cut through to the good stuff. I want the good stuff. And actually you've stopped listening to some of those because there's like an hour of waffle before you get to the functional stuff that actually is going to make a difference to my life. And I'd rather be living my life than listening to it. So I would just hit people immediately with the best content, with your best stuff, like don't mess about, then they will learn to love you and stick around for the rest. Yeah, you tend to find that, especially on um, fitness YouTube as well, where it's like, I will show you the number one tip to get your abs to pop out into the stratosphere. And then the video is 20 minutes long, and they deliver it in one sentence at 19 minutes, 30 seconds. It's incredibly frustrating. And what you tend to find is actually people just like, will bounce through the video anyway. They'll bounce through the video just looking for what that sentence is because they're not going to wade through you waffling plus a couple of YouTube ads and then get to that stuff when there are already videos out there that will provide that in five minutes flat, you know? So yeah, I 100% agree. And interestingly, the information isn't just for stuff that you need to get like going straight away. The same thing applies to the video edit as well. If you can just make sure it's so snappy and in your face in those first 30 seconds to one minute, you're going to keep people long after you've sort of slowed down the pace of things. It's really worth front loading stuff there. The next point we've got really hits on uh, the concept of a whole website creation, which we had no idea that uh, you'd gone and made, which is awesome. But basically, I'm going to really quickly whiz for it in the sense of YouTube will always be sort of like the middleman in the dialogue between you and the audience if you if you don't have the website. So the fact that you've got that, the fact that you can get the mailing list is blooming, brilliant. But here's the thing. It's a little bit of a weird thing that most people don't sort of realize, but YouTube wants everyone to stay on YouTube. If everyone stayed on YouTube, they can charge so much more to advertisers because they'll be showing adverts to far more people. So the issue with having the website and then giving links into all of your descriptions and saying, go to the website in every single video, it sort of suggests to YouTube that you don't want to use YouTube. You don't want to keep people in the same space. So trying to keep that limited, trying to keep it to really specific moments. Say if you've got your playlist where you're introducing people to calisthenics, that's great if you've got maybe the first four or five videos, you don't even mention any call to action about a website. But then maybe at episode six or number six in the playlist, that's when it pops up. You make good use of it there. It's a fundamental hitter. And then you move on again. So it's sort of like just trying to steal a few people away, but not so many that YouTube starts to look down on you. Funnily enough, we've got a sort of a similar thing with the free online woodworking school that we're doing at the moment. The whole concept there is we haven't been doing all the call to actions to sort of go to our website. It doesn't exist to a lot of people, even from the uh, Mattersley channel to the Free Online Woodworking School channel. It doesn't exist because we haven't been saying all the call to actions enough. But we're trying to make sure that we don't bombard YouTube by saying, right, we want your viewers elsewhere. We want to steal everyone to take your ad revenue. Um, my question off the back of that, because I, th- I 100% agree with that, Rob, would be... Um... 
where you want to find the balance between your content being consumed in various different spaces. So essentially, I'm talking about diversification. I think a lot of people I've seen get burned on YouTube, get burned in such a way because all their content is on YouTube, all their subscribers engage with them solely on YouTube and on the community. They don't really have a following on Instagram, Facebook, or an email mailing list. Where would you recommend that balance comes in if essentially we need to be mindful of keeping people circulating on the videos in your YouTube channel versus also making sure that if YouTube came along one day and, I don't know, penalized you, you know, your whole business model wouldn't collapse because YouTube was having a strop with you? It's really difficult to try and give any sort of figures for that because I, I believe I've read this before, but in the YouTube terms and conditions, there's a certain percentage of links that are allowed to go to outside sources. I believe it's actually quite a small percentage. And yet massive YouTubers, the majority of YouTubers don't care and they've got all their affiliate links in there and that's going to other places. So YouTube aren't going to come and strike people down in the first place for putting all the URLs, URLs in there in the first place. But I think you need to sort of look at it from a slightly different way in the sense of always make sure that you've got your website in the description, but then always make sure that you've also got the calisthenics playlist link in the description, or you've got your next recommended video in the description. Even if it's just like a 50-50 split where you're sort of just trying to be fair to both parties, then that's good enough. And of course, you always want to diversify. I'm not saying stick to YouTube forever, but it's just be wary that there is potential for it being harmful if you go too hard. The most valuable asset in your business is your list. I know everyone thinks it's themselves as the entrepreneur, but it's not. It's the list of customers. It's the people you can get to. If someone else owns your list, that's a problem because if they decide to shut down your channel, if they change things, I mean, you look at what's happened with Facebook. If you have a page on Facebook, now you pretty much have to pay to reach the people who like your own page. And they've changed the game. They've changed the algorithm. There was a post recently that this guy had a million likes. And I think he had a reach of two on one of his posts and they just block his content. And that's what they will do because they want you to stay on their channel because they want to keep that ad revenue there. The most valuable thing you can have is your own list. And that's where I think a portion of your energy should always be and start building it as quickly as you can. So to everyone listening to this, I think we said this in the last episode, build your own list. I don't care how you do it. A free MailChimp account with 2000 people, like it doesn't matter. Start building your own list alongside other things. Yeah, absolutely. And so to kind of build onto the whole website thing, focusing on products now, it's probably the worst segue ever, but we'll stick with it. Um, I know you had a few questions about merchandising, Andrew, specifically sourcing products, creating your own products. And so we've got a few things here around that and a few learnings from it as well. Me and Rob are attacking it in slightly different ways. So when I started off my YouTube channel, I probably had the same amount of viewers as you when I first did it. And I had, you know, what, two, 3,000 subscribers. And I thought, cool, I'm going to buy 50 t-shirts because people will want to buy them. And I've got a good wholesale price on that. Shipped them all to my bedroom. My mum loved it and literally sold about five of them. And the rest sat there for probably about a year and a half. It was an awful design, 
So I, I'm not surprised by it, to be honest. But the fact of the matter is I got enticed in by these bulk discounts on this thing that I hadn't really tested. I didn't actually, I kind of asked people if they would buy them. But of course, people will say one thing, but when it comes to parting with money, they'll do another. So what I'm saying is here, you can do that. And if you create a great product, great. But there are other ways of testing it that significantly reduce your risk. One of them is drop shipping the t-shirts. Now, drop shipping has kind of got this sort of faddy name around it at the moment, I think, where you see all these Facebook ads of like, look at my drop shipping business, buy my course, do this. But there is actually a functional way of doing it. It's very simple. There's a website called Printful that I use. And essentially, what they do is you upload your designs, you put it on various pieces of merchandise like hats, socks, t-shirts, hoodies, sweatshirts, posters, anything. And when people buy it through your website, it automatically gets forwarded to Printful and then they will fulfill it for you straight to the customer. So it's all out of your hands. The downside of that is you don't take as much profit from it. But again, it's a really great way of testing those different design concepts, uh, reducing the risk by not having to buy any stock. You just see what people like, see if they will actually buy it to start with and uh, not have to hold any inventory as well, which is always quite good. I think this ties perfectly into one of the key points of the entire pop-up business school, which is sell your value before you create it. Nearly everyone in business thinks you have to create it first and then sell it second. That's the most risky way to do it because you have to buy all the stock, create all the stuff, put your money in. That's how people go into debt is they go, I need to get this custom manufactured thing that's custom designed and I'll spend £3,000 to have the mold made and I need ten grand, and they buy it all and then they've got bedrooms full of stuff. They never sell. We always say do the reverse. Sell it first because Matt's absolutely right. People will be nice to you when you say, oh, what do you think of my new hoodie? And they'll go, oh, that's lovely, Matt, even if they're thinking that's rubbish. The moment of truth comes when you say, it's £20. Would you like to buy one and stare them in the eye? Then when you've actually asked for the cash, they will give you the real feedback. Up until you ask for the money, people will be nice to you doesn't help us to grow as a business and it leads to garages full of stuff we can't sell. And it's mad how far down that rabbit hole you can get. Matt, I'm so glad you said that because I think it was just this weekend. So just come off the back of the Easter weekend, I took a look at a wholesale supplier of t-shirts. Before long, they'd upsold me to joggers. Before long, they'd upsold me to mugs. Of course, you're looking at the bulk discount, right? So you're getting 50 of each of these. Before long, you've got a grand in your basket, nowhere to store this stuff. You're going to pay for shipping for it to get to you. And then you're going to pay for shipping for it to get to your the three people and your mom who might buy this eventually. Yeah, it, it's so backwards. So yeah, it's uh, I, I've taken a note of um, that company to test and try that out with. Yes, you definitely want to avoid the pity purchases from family because they know you've got a whole garage full of them and they're just going, okay, I'll help him out. Sell first. I think that's what I would love everyone on this podcast who's listening right now to hear. Sell before you create. Like, How easy is it to take the logo you're imagining off and put it on a t-shirt and have like a computer-generated version and then put a free PayPal button next to it and ask people to buy, and then you'll make it if it sells. How easy is it to do that? And this is not a modern idea. 
People think this is a modern idea. It's not a modern idea. Back in the days when there was checks and newspapers, um, you guys have probably never actually seen a real check because you're all young, but check is these like pieces of paper we used to sign and send money to each other. There was this What's newspaper. Paper? What's paper, Andrew? Like, this is not <laughs> making me happy. Matt's got a checkbook. Wow. Uh, I thought you were too young for those things. There was this business in the UK. They would put adverts in the back of the paper and they were selling cotton polo shirts or cotton T-shirts. And uh, it would have one of those dotted lines with the scissors so you could cut it out. And you filled out your name, address, the size and how many you wanted. And you sent it back with the check. And then at the bottom, it said delivery would be four to six weeks. Why was delivery four to six weeks? Because it didn't exist didn't exist. Uh, and it's a wonderful business model. They would collect all of the cash, place the order for exactly what they've sold. So there's no buying six medium, 10 large, six extra large, and three extra extra large, and hoping that your audience fit the generic size profile. There's none of that. You're producing exactly what's needed. There's no waste. There's no up risk of losing your money because you paid it to the wholesaler, then you try and sell it. This idea has been around a long time. It's just for some reason, entrepreneurs, when they're starting out, think that to be bona fide, we need to produce it all first. And it just isn't true. Yeah. So just to sort of elaborate on that a little bit, Printful is one example of what you could use, but there's loads of t-shirt companies. I think Teespring and maybe Everpress might do a similar thing. The reason we say Printful is because, especially for you, it integrates really well with WordPress and it's really user-friendly. It's a little bit more on the expensive side compared to the others, but we like it for that reason. But shop around. You can get better profits elsewhere if you need to. Bolting onto that, number seven in our list of things you could do, product creation. So creating your own products rather than um, sort of getting them printed on other things to be fulfilled. Let's say you're wanting to produce your own joggers, your own training routines or something like that? How do you reduce the risk in doing that? Well, it's a very similar thing. So one of my friends in the US, uh, his name's Jonathan Katz-Moses in exactly the same field as me. Uh, he does woodworking tutorials and projects and everything. He did a seminar about a year ago or so, and I thought his approach to it was genius with regards to product creation. What he's done is over the past three years, he compiled all of his affiliate reports to work out what the most sold item was. In that case, it was a marking gauge. It's a really common piece of marking equipment in woodworking. You literally use it all the time. People would purchase it off Amazon all the time using his links. What did he do? Went on Alibaba, found the supplier for it, got his logo printed on it, put it on his website, sold loads of them. He did the same for various other things and now has this whole repertoire of things that he knows sell well and he can just redirect all of the links in his videos to his own store now with his own logo on things. And again, it's a great way of having a proof of concept, having those affiliate items do the research for you because again, it's that you're working out what people are willing to part their money with rather than hope that, oh, if I buy these joggers to sell. I hope people will buy them. You're literally watching people buy them there and then. I think that's the interesting bit is you don't actually know what the market wants until you test it. The problem that happens is most people think they need to create everything before they test the market. That is a genius way of testing it because I am always shocked by what people buy. 
I, I am surprised. Like, who would buy this stuff? How does this even work? And I'm shocked and I would never sell it, which tells you don't ever listen to what Alan thinks would work. And actually, that's what I tell people. Like, they come to me and go, Alan, I think my product will be successful. Do you think it will work? And I go, well, I don't know. There's only one question I can actually answer. Do you know what that question I can answer is? Have you tried it? Would I buy it? That's the only question I can answer 100% factually. You can say, Alan, I've got these Cali to the crowd jog pants. They will make your bum look amazing. Would you buy it? It's 20 pounds. I can answer that. I can't tell you if the general public would buy it. And let's be honest, I am not a good gauge of whether the general public would buy it because I'm quite different from the general public. So I always tell people, stop asking me and start asking real customers and they will tell you your feedback. Just don't create it before you do it. It's the only real test. Yeah, that's funny that you mentioned about would I be willing to buy it instead of like trying to work out if the customer would do it because around my knives, quite possibly the best seller on my website (laughs) when I can actually make them. The reason I knew that would work is because when I was starting off woodworking about seven years ago, there was a guy selling knives very similar to mine, and I always wanted one, could never get one, so I made one myself. He actually had a blog showing how to make one. So I followed that, made my own, made some improvements to it, and then a few years down the line, he just stopped making them. I'm not sure why, and people were just constantly knocking on his door saying, when are you going to make knives, me included, and eventually... I invested in some metalworking equipment and started making prototypes of this one that I made of his own design and sort of made a few improvements. And as soon as I put it on the website, sold out straight away, loads of them, just because I knew I had this audience of people who I knew were kind of carried across from his videos watching mine. Again, it's all proof of concept stuff. I probably don't need to elaborate on it much more than that. But again, awful segue, but let's just stick with it. I was listening to Tim Ferriss's podcast recently, and he spoke a lot about how he came up with the idea for his book, or sorry, the title and the cover for his book, The 4-Hour Workweek, which I thought was genius. So what he did is he came up with 10 or so different titles and book covers for his book, split test them all across Facebook, put a little bit into ads, and then behind each of those ads just put a landing page saying this book will be coming out soon. So with all 10 of those ads going out, being compared against one another, all you do is sit back for a few weeks, let your money run out, and then see which one gets clicked on the most. They all go to the same landing page, and you could even cheat that a little bit by putting a sign-up list on there saying, sign up to my mailing list when it's released. But instantly, you know exactly what people are interested in, and that's how he came up with the title, The 4-Hour Workweek. Sounded cheesy. He's hated it to start with, but people liked it. So, hey, use it. That's actually really, really interesting. (laughs) That's something that you could try with so many different things as well. I love how versatile that is. If you literally just slap it onto Facebook, slap three quid behind it and try it out, you will reach a significant amount of people, at least enough to get statistical significance anyway, especially with the volumes that I'm dealing with. Yeah, that's actually really, really, really cool. Right, so our final point really is sort of looking long term really trying to decide where your channel is heading in regards to whether it's education on the one hand or entertainment on the other or somewhere in the middle in the form of uh, the, i think the word matt got here is edutainment which is uh not catchy at all but i don't know it might stick patent pending yeah exactly exactly so basically 
in the past, at least before I joined Matt, he was purely in the realm of tutorials, very sort of to the point. It was really 99% education more than entertainment. And then basically he hired me and I started ruining things by trying to make his life a misery and it became a bit more entertainment based. Lost a few followers for that, but you know, you've got to mix and match it. Point being, we, we've sort of found this feeling as we're going along that we're not sure where we sort of sat in that space because we really enjoyed the sort of new style that was sort of beginning to evolve and happen. And so then we've been doing a little little bit of research on the side. So in terms of the entertainment things, we studied people like Mr. Beast, uh, gamers like Dream, Logan Paul being up there as well. And then on the edutainment side, because we still want to educate, no matter what, we're, we're not saying get rid of your education, but there's got to be entertainment within there. Then you've got the people like uh, Mark Rober, Tom Scott, and Bald and Bankrupt. And so these channels, they're all about the entertainment. So they keep people, um, I'm talking about the edutainment here, they've got all the entertainment within there. So they keep people interested. You've, you've got the click-through rate because they've got great fun thumbnails. You've got the retention because... People are literally just enjoying them. It doesn't matter whether they're learning or not, but they're enjoying them. And then you've got the education on the side being the fact that actually to the people who want to learn, this is beneficial. So it's sort of trying to find, maybe just trying to have a little bit of a think about long term where stuff can progress. So the reason we're kind of focusing on this is mainly based around our observations when posting series on my channel. Series they're great fun to post, but you get significant viewer drop-off throughout the series, unless you've got a really good one, or it's only three to five videos. If I'm to pull a random arbitrary number out, three to five videos, people will probably stick around. But if it's like a 10-part, a 20-part, people probably won't stick around for that very much. And usually if series are that long, they tend to be around the education side of things. So for example, my projects are usually 20 parts long, but we've actually found out that if we condense all of that education into one entertaining video, the viewership and everything just tends to be a lot better from that. The trouble is that we really like teaching. And in fact, that actually helps build a really strong audience. The fact that you're willing to give away so much value. So it's really inefficient, but we've actually built entirely separate channels, which is this free online woodworking school we're talking about, where we post purely tutorial videos. The reason we've done that is because we don't want those unoptimized videos to hurt our statistics on the main channel where we're going for this more optimized format of videos that YouTube likes. It's not efficient at all. Don't take that as advice, but it's just, that's why we're highlighting it. We want you to think about it early because it can, you might get to this point now where it's like, I want to do both, but they can't live on the same channel because it's just too noisy and YouTube doesn't like it either. So I'd just like to add a interesting point about business in general. They did a survey of why people would switch suppliers. So this was a business-to-business -business survey. So think fairly straight-laced business-to-business. What do you think the main reasons why people would switch from one supplier to another are? My first guess would be price, right? Price was one of them. Ease of use. They had price, quality, and customer service were kind of the main three. But there was a really interesting one that came out through this survey that they weren't expecting. And 70.9 or 71% of people would change suppliers if the new supplier was more fun. 
interesting, isn't it? You'd change business suppliers if the new supplier was more fun. So let's like give you an example. If you had the choice of two YouTube channels that both delivered value, but one was fun to watch, which one would you watch? Yeah, definitely the one that I got more entertainment out of. Yeah, sure. If you had the choice of two business schools, they both provided great information, but one was fun, which one would you go to? And when I was starting my speaking career, I studied stand-up comedy because I realized very quickly if people are laughing, they're learning, if they're having fun, if they're engaged. So I studied how to write a joke, how to tell a joke, how to do this stuff. Because if I could bring fun to what I'm doing, if I can make people laugh, they will love what you're doing. And one of my favorite pieces of feedback I got, I was running courses at Microsoft at the time. Uh, this guy said, best training course I've ever been on and the only training course I've ever been on where I cried with laughter. And people got huge value. They learned and they cried with laughter. And I ran courses for them for 10 years. Like they kept rehiring me. And if you want to be rehired, make it fun. If you want people to come back for the next video, make it fun. If you want people to enjoy doing business with you, make it fun. Fun is like this magic ingredients, this dust you can sprinkle over what you're doing that makes everyone want to hang out with you. Yeah, for sure. That's certainly something that I've tried to layer on in some of my videos. I think it's done better in some than in others. For me, that balance within video to video is harder to do than having almost like a video that's specifically more entertaining and then a video that's specifically more educational kind of similar to what you just mentioned man rob i personally haven't yet found the balance of doing what was it edutainment i personally haven't found that balance yet but if you tell me do a video that is kind of going to err more on the funny side i can do that and then if you tell me do a video that's more on the educational side i can do that it's the blend that i struggle with because i will either err too much to one and then lose the the education element or make it too education heavy and it feels like you've just you know been taken back to school so yeah that that balance i think is quite key cool so let's start to wrap things up because matt and rob have a dramatic close for us in a moment before we do that andrew two things one what are you going to do differently based on this podcast and two where do people find out more about you yeah sure so the first thing i'm certainly going to action is trying out A-B testing, especially on thumbnails. I think that's something that is so easy to do on paper. And Rob, like you said, it's mad because I do already have the infrastructure to do it based on my day job. So yeah, I'll, um, I'll definitely try that out on the videos that are less risky to try that out on. So my worst performing videos, because there's nothing really different with the content. So it must be something to do with how people are engaging with the you know, that start of that funnel, the entry point. And then, yeah, I am going to take a look at some of the companies that you mentioned, Matt, around merchandising. I completely agree with the approach. I got so sucked in with starting with printing a t-shirt. Before you know it, I had a fashion line that would have rivaled Louis Vuitton. And before I kind of dive into all of that without even the concept that somebody else would pay for it, what the quality of the products looks like, how the service of the printing company, what that's like, trying it out for myself, seeing what it looks like and um, 
yeah, just seeing what happens. So those two things are certainly something that I want to try out. And then um, if anyone did want to take a closer look at what I've got going on at Cali to the Crowd, it's quite easy to search for it. You can literally just hop onto YouTube, jump into the search box and search for either my name, Andrew Alinda, or search for Cali to the Crowd and both will bring up my channel. Perfect. Andrew, you know I'm going to hold you to those things and ask you what you've done by the next episode. Matt and Rob, as always, you have brought insight with generosity levels that we haven't seen. Thank you so much for your energy and effort. Before we do the top items that you gave us today, how do people find out more about you and like where should they start on your woodworking channel? Even if they're not interested in woodworking, where should they go? So yeah, our channel, we're trying to make it a little bit more edutainment. I can't even say it myself. Uh, we're trying to make it a little <laughs> bit based around that. So you don't need to like woodwork to go on it. Just search for my name, Matt Estley. That's E-S-T-L-E-A. And some sort of video will pop up. I've got quite a good one where I fired 20,000 Cocoa Pops into my face using a, a uh, woodworking extractor, which is quite a good one. Uh, you might like that. But yeah, just have a have a little gander. There's plenty there to watch. And if you want to learn woodworking, we've got another channel called the Free Online Woodworking School. Excellent. Excellent. Thank you, gentlemen. Now, please lead us through your top points so that we can leave everyone with clear things to think about it. Matt, sounds like you want to go first. Okay, so the first one, thumbnails. Make sure to be bold with them. Make sure you've got a clear center of attention on them. Get rid of the backgrounds. Just make sure that the viewers are focusing on what you want them to be focusing on. Yeah. So then number two, you've got to be searchable. This is in regards to the titles. Use Answer the Public to find out exactly what people want and just make sure that they're clear. Make sure that people know what they're getting when they click on that video. Uh, numero three is compare and contrast split testing. Andrew, you do this in your job, so I won't tell you how to do that. You can probably tell me how to do it, but yeah, make sure you do that. Number four is then build relationships from the start using funnels. You, you think about it. If somebody's new who's entering the channel, they want to get into calisthenics. They might find a few one-off videos where you've said about the beginners in the title, but you need a fundamental playlist that's going to get them involved and get them learning from scratch. You've already done this, Andrew, but for anyone else listening, make sure you've got a website of some kind. That is probably the best investment you can make in terms of your business. And then we're talking number six with merchandising. Don't go and buy all of the bulk discounted stuff. You're not going to sell it. Monetize with low risk using drop shipping. Number seven is monetize with even less risk by researching what things are already selling, perhaps through your affiliate reports or something like that. And number eight, think long term. It's worth thinking about it now rather than later because you just end up in this rabbit hole of wondering what you're actually doing when you get big. So uh, there's no doubt you're going to get big, but just see if you can think about it right now, what you can do about it. Matt and Rob, it was phenomenal. Guys, thank you so much for that. I really, really appreciate the amount of time that you guys spend on this and giving away hours of your time, essentially helping me with my YouTube channel and essentially what I would want to become my business. So yeah, really, really thank you. I really, really do appreciate that. So thanks, Rob, Matt, Alan. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure. And to everyone listening, and I'm staring at directly Andrew at this one as well, sell before you create. That is the key to risk-free entrepreneurship. So please get out there and ask for the money, ask for the sale before 
you make it. You can have any life you want to. Choose to build something cool. Choose to take action. Choose to work to make your dreams become reality. Stand out. Be different. Be yourself. Be a rebel entrepreneur.